0: Our scripture reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had stated or started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Caroline. Morning, everybody. Good to see you. If I don't know you, um, my name's Alan. I'm one of the elders in the church here. Um, It's good that you were able to make it along. Some people maybe ran the first wee bit, did they? Uh, just to the marathon there and just decided to come in just as they were uh, on the route. But it is a little bit smaller this morning because of the marathon. I think people may be struggling to get in, uh, but it's really good to have you guys with us. It's a good time uh, for you to be visiting, if you are visiting or or coming along, maybe at the start of kind of uh, a new school year, uh, a a new year, um, whenever you get to uh, here at this time of year. What we're really about as a church here at Village, because we always at this time we do what we call our family traits. That's kind of our sermon series, and that's what we're in at the moment, uh, where we look at what it means to be Village Church. What really is important to us as a church? What's in our DNA as a church? And uh, we're continuing that series this morning, and we're looking at the three spheres that we have uh, of gospel, community, and mission. Those are the three spheres which are, uh, really uh, encompass all that we do as a church, why we exist and who we are. Uh, and we, we saw in the last couple of weeks with John that uh, we are a church who uh, want to abide in Jesus Christ, that we are a church that want to be rooted and grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to learn and practice the presence of God more and more in our lives uh, because that's the only way that we can live that's true life, and that's how we pr- produce fruit in the Christian life. And uh, we're going to be focusing in the next couple of weeks on, on that sphere of community, digging into to what kind of a community we want to be. There are lots of uh, different communities that you might experience and be part of across our city here in Belfast, lots of communities that you might be uh, spending your time part of, but, but what makes this community uh, Different, unique. We want to be what's called a gospel shaped community. Everything that we do centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to dig into what it really means to be a gospel shaped community. And we have 10 values as a church. You can see them on our website, which kind of tell us what kind of community we want to be. They're based on the Bible, these values. They, they give us a, a kind of a vision of. of what we would love to see our church members, our family uh, living out. Um, And they're really important to us, the values that we have. Um, There are things that we talk about often as a church, things like church as family, uh, things like spiritual honesty and authenticity together. Um, There are things as well like gospel intentionality. We, We want to be a community who are doing things with gospel intentionality. Um, And they're not just nice little catchphrases that we have, but they're actually things uh, that we want to live out. They're things that we want uh, our church family to experience and others to experience as they come alongside us, as they look into our community. And so we're really serious about cultivating these values and seeing them grow. And one of the core values that we have is sacrificial living and generosity. Here's what the value says. It's on the screen. In understanding the abundant, sacrificial generosity of God, we want to be a community who are generous with our whole lives. This includes our time, resources, talents, abilities, money, and more. Jesus calls us to live a life of radical difference. In a world marked by consumption, we are seeking to build a community of countercultural generosity. Think of that last line for a moment. In a world marked by consumption, we are seeking to build a community of people uh, of countercultural generosity who demonstrate countercultural cultural generosity. You see, we live in a world which admires generous living. A world which applauds generosity. We've seen so much of that in the last year and a half, even during our pandemic, clapping for our generous carers who've sacrificed themselves in the front line for others. But I think one of the reasons that we make much of generosity in society, in our culture, is because we know it, it goes against the grain almost. It's not the norm. It's not the norm in society, and it's not the norm in our hearts as well. Um, it's, we're immersed in a culture here in the West where self is king or queen. We're told to chase our dreams and not to let anyone get in the way of that. We're encouraged to carve out time for ourselves before giving our time and our energy to anyone else. We're conditioned to save and to spend our hard-earned money in the way that we want in a way that benefits us or our family first. Marketing and media is so geared around making much of me that my instincts, this is true of me, my instincts to look out for others and to be generous are dulled or maybe even killed off altogether. And this is the water that we swim in in our culture. And sadly, at times, it can actually be the water that we swim in as a church as well. We go downstream just for the way things are in society. There's a, a well-known social science experiment in the 1970s that illustrated this. Some theological students were asked to prepare a short talk in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Really well-known Uh, about generous living and being generous to those who maybe we wouldn't expect uh, to be generous to. And these students, when they arrived at the class where they were going to give the talk, they were told they needed to go to another building on the campus. Uh, And there was um, actually an audience there who were already waiting for them to come to give the talk, and they had no time to lose in getting there. On their way to deliver the talk, the students came upon an actor who was slumped on the footpath, moaning, and pretending to be in distress. And you can guess what happened. Only 53% of the students hurrying to give those talks on that famous parable about generosity, they stopped to help the man who was in need. And the variable that had the most effect on whether they stopped or not was how much time pressure they thought they were under in getting to that building to deliver that talk. We can talk about generosity. We can aspire To be sacrificially generous people, but never actually in reality practice that generosity in our lives. This isn't the way we want things to be in the life of our church here at Village. We want to practice what we preach. We want to be doers of God's word, not just hearers, as we've thought about in the book of James in this last couple of months. And one of the marks of a gospel-shaped community is sacrificial generosity, And this is why sacrificial living, it's it's one of our kind of three-year vision goals that we have as a church. We've set two goals as a community to become more generous. And the focus has been on our financial giving uh, predominantly. One of those goals was to purchase the building here in East, to have a place to call home, to plant roots here in this area. And the other one is to become more financially independent, actually to reach financial independence. We're uh, helped by a lot of other churches, from the states especially, who have donated money and and, uh, given their money to be able to help us as a church plant in the last 10 years get off the ground and to see growth. But we would love to become a church now, 10 years down the line, who are financially independent, who, who are then able to be a blessing to other churches and seeing other churches being planted as well so our financial our goals sorry are, are quite financially orientated in what we're we're looking to grow in but but that's they're they're not solely focused on that generous living that we're talking about is not just about our money we want to be a community of people who are joyfully generous with our whole lives sacrificially generous with our time our resources our talents our food even our homes we want to be generous in every way possible. That's the kind of culture we want to nurture here at Village. And I'm very thankful as I was preparing this sermon this week and, and thinking about our church family here, I'm very thankful that there is so many examples that, I can, that came to mind of sacrificial living, of people displaying this generosity to others. But we want to keep growing and maturing as a church in this stuff. So how do we do it? How do we grow deeper in our generosity, both individually but also together as a church? And the first line that you see there of our value, of sacrificial living uh, and generosity, underpinning that, this is key, that first line is an understanding of the abundant sacrificial generosity of our God. That is the only place we could start We will only be abundantly generous, lavishly generous, sacrificially generous when we understand just how abundantly generous God has been to us. How he has lavishly poured out his blessing on us. That's it. If there ever was a silver bullet when it comes to growing in our generosity, this is it growing and deepening in our understanding of God's generosity towards us. And we see God's abundant generosity in creation. We're going to think about that just in a moment. We thought about that in our liturgy there, even. God being the creator of all things, blessing us with all things that we possess and have in life. But we, in the most ultimate sense, we see his abundant sacrificial generosity in the person and the work of of Jesus Christ, which is why we read Second Corinthians 8, because that verse is a brilliant one. Verse 9, Paul says, Jesus Christ is the one who, though he was rich, yet for our sake, for your sake and for mine, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. That's the verse we're going to focus on this morning. We're going to unpack that verse. And in these kind of thematic sermons, we don't usually do this at Village here. We kind of usually expositionally preach through books of the Bible. And we just preach whatever kind of comes up. Um, But we're going to jump around a little bit in the Bible um, to look at uh, different uh, parts of the Bible that talk about the generosity of God and how he's blessed us. Um, and, And in doing that, I want us to see how the Bible just fits together as a a rich tapestry. How it just interprets itself, the Bible. uh, And how it helps us understand that uh, this is who our God really is. In his wisdom this is what he's revealed to us. Next week, we're going to get much more practical honing in on those specific goals and thinking practically about how we can grow in our generous living. But this week, we're just going to consider that Why? Why would we grow in our generosity? Why would we even be generous people? And the answer is because of the sacrificial generosity of our God. And the Bible says everything that we have, everything that we possess is from God. He's the generous giver of life to all of us here, to all things. Our liturgy said that in Psalm 95. We depend on God for everything that we have. He's the one who provides us with all things in life to enjoy. Genesis 1, it tells us right at the beginning of the Bible that God spoke creation into being. Psalm 139, it says, that God, he's the one who formed each one of us in this room. He knit us together in our mother's womb. Psalm 104, it tells us that it's God who sustains his creation, even right now, today. Paul, in the book of Acts, in Acts 17, he is in front of the Areopagus these well-to-do people, Athenian philosophers who know so much. And he says to them, I've been around your city, and I've seen so many uh, different shrines to different gods, but let me tell you this, Paul says, there is one God who made the world and everything in it. He's Lord of heaven and earth. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything from us because he's the one He himself gives life to all mankind. He's the one who gives life and breath and everything. He doesn't leave anything out. It's God who gives you the breath in your lungs this morning. It's God who keeps your heart beating in your chest right now. Every material possession that you have, every piece of food that you put on the table, every pound that you have in your bank account even, all of it is a generous gift from our loving creator God. And if we're Christians this morning, this isn't news to us. (laughs) We know this. We're aware of this. But I wonder, do we stop often enough in our day, in our week maybe, to acknowledge this, to just thank God for this, for all that He has given us in life? Do we stop to, to praise Him and worship Him for all that He's blessed us with? God's abundant generosity towards each of us is plain to see in creation. Paul says that in Romans chapter 1. He's our generous life giver. But God's abundant sacrificial generosity is seen most of all in salvation, in what He has done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Paul, in, in 2 Corinthians 8, he's speaking to this church in Corinth who have pledged to donate money to a church in Jerusalem who are going through a difficult time in severe need. And he wants this church in Corinth to come good on the pledge that they have made. So he says to them, look, first of all, at, at the church in Macedonia. Here's another church who've given generously to this church, this fund for the church in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And he actually says that this church in Macedonia, the amazing thing about them is they are a church which is in extreme poverty themselves. But they are a church who've been extremely generous. They have given joyfully out of their poverty. They've even, Paul says, begged for the opportunity to give more to this fund, even at great cost to themselves, even out of their extreme poverty. And Paul, he says to this church in Corinth, he's appealing to them. He says, we want you. We want you as this church to give generously, joyfully, just like them. He reminds them in verse 9 of why they should be so joyful in giving. Because he says, look at what God has given to you. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake... He became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is how generous God has been to you, church. He's given you his son. Remember how poor you were before you received the grace of God in Jesus. And know now how rich you are, rich forever in Jesus Christ. You get this brilliant contrast in this verse between us on one side and Jesus Christ on the other, between our poverty and his riches. And Paul paints these two kind of movements. He takes Jesus Christ on one side being rich, eternally rich, and him moving to a place of poverty. And he then paints this picture of us on the other side moving from a place of poverty to riches, to wealth. What's Paul talking about here? Well, it's pretty simple, but he's reminding this church of their spiritual poverty, where they once were without the grace of God, reminding them of how spiritually poor they were, impoverished spiritually. He actually says, Paul, in another letter to the, book, uh, to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, he says that our spiritual poverty without Jesus Christ, it's so deep, we are so impoverished spiritually that we're actually dead. Dead in our trespasses and sins. And this is the reality for all of us without Jesus. Without his grace, we are spiritually dead. And the Bible says the reason for this is because we have failed to acknowledge that everything that we have Everything comes from our generous creator and Lord. All of it comes from God. We were created to enjoy the good gifts that God has given us in life with him, not without him. But what we have all done is we have turned away from him. We've accepted the good gifts that he has lavishly poured out on us, generously given us in life we've rejected him as the good giver of those gifts. And all of us have done this, me included. We have turned away from God, turned to our own ways, and made other things in life our God's. Other things the focus of our worship, whether it be money or possessions or talents that we have, they become what we treasure most in life. They become the center of our worship. And the Bible says this is the essence of sin. Sin is worshiping the gifts rather than worshiping God as the good giver of those gifts. And sin makes us dead, spiritually dead, cut off from God as the giver of life. And you might say, well, to look at us this morning, none of us look dead in this room. We all very much look alive right now. But even this, even our sitting in this room, is a reminder of God's generosity and kindness towards us. Because what we all deserve for having turned away from Him is death. Death forever, eternal death, being separated from Him, cut off from Him for eternity. That's what we deserve for our sins. But God, He is so patient and He is so kind. Towards us. But his patience and his generosity won't last forever. His patience and his kindness is given to us as a way of us coming back to him to make us realise how much we desperately need him. Because in the same way that a plant will eventually die, a wither and die whenever it's cut off from its root, from its life source, we too will eventually die if we are cut off from our life source. Yes, physical death in this life, but one day, spiritual death forever in eternity. Cut off from God forever in a place where there are no good gifts and nothing more to enjoy. This is our spiritual poverty without Jesus. It's a bleak picture and one that we can never change on our own. But this is where God is so generous to us because he generously provides us with what we need. He provides us with the way of being reconnected with our life source again. And he does it all through his son, Jesus Christ. Look again at what Paul says in Second Corinthians 8 verse 9. We have our spiritual poverty, but on the other side we see Christ's immense Riches. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And think for a moment about how rich Jesus Christ really was. All that he in his infinite wealth was willing to give up in order to save us from our spiritual poverty. I looked up this week some of the, the richest people in the world to find out their net worth It's mind-blowing, some of the amounts of money that people have. Jeff Bezos, he's the founder of Amazon. He's apparently the world's richest person with a wealth of 145 billion pounds. He's followed closely by other people like Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, billionaires, people with immense wealth. But Paul says, the wealth of Jesus Christ, it surpasses them all. No one compares to him. Listen to what he says in Colossians chapter 1. It's on the screen. About the glory and the riches of Jesus. What belongs to him. What he possesses. This is what Paul says. He is the uh, image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him, Jesus Christ, and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, in everything, he might be preeminent, supreme, Do you see what Paul is saying about the riches and the glory of Jesus Christ? How easy it is for us to forget this. It's mind-blowing. He says that Jesus is the creator of all things. He was there in the beginning with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. In perfect Trinitarian love and unity with them. Created all things. And look, he's the reason for all things as well. All things were created through him and for him. Look at verse 17. Jesus is the sustainer of all things as well. He holds all things together. He's the glue holding this universe together. And he's Lord of everything, Paul says. There's not one single thing, not one molecule in all of this universe that doesn't belong to Jesus, that he doesn't say It's mine. It belongs to me. Jesus didn't lack a single thing before his incarnation and coming into this world. He didn't need a single thing. He was experiencing that perfect unity and love with his Father and the Holy Spirit forever. He was experiencing glory and perfection for all eternity. He had legions upon legions of angels worshiping him and glorifying him. This is the picture of the riches and the glory of Jesus. Yet Paul says in another book in Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 2, sorry, that it was this Jesus, this Jesus of of Colossians 1 here, who was willing to give it all up, who was willing to release it all, willing to sacrifice it all for us, for you and for me. Verse 6 of Philippians 2 says, though he was in the form of God, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He gave it all up, relinquished it by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus was willing to let go of all of his divine rights as the Son of God, all of his eternal riches and glory. Why? For you and for me. So that we, by his poverty, might become rich forever. His poverty, our riches. I don't know if you've ever seen the, the TV show, The Secret Millionaire. It's on Channel 4. Um, it's basically where a millionaire, someone with oodles and oodles of money, they give, up, they give up that money. They disguise themselves for a week as someone who's quite poor, they, uh, they give up the comfort and the wealth of their millionaire lifestyle and um, they, they kind of enter into the poverty of, of someone who's a poor working class person. They live alongside that person. They don't reveal who they are and they get an insight into that poor person's life. They see how they live and at the end of the week, that secret millionaire, they reveal who they really are to that person they've been living alongside. They reveal the true riches that they possess and they bless that person With some of their their riches. He gave them a a life transforming sum of money and lift them out of their poverty, give them this new life. And I was thinking about this (laughs) this week, how that it's the palest of pictures of what Jesus Christ did for us. But he gave up his wealth, his eternal riches for a time and entered into our poverty. Jesus became purse so that by his life we might become rich in him forever because Jesus left his eternal throne. He came into the, the brokenness of our world, born as a baby in a filthy stable among animals. He left the eternal praise and worship of those angels in heaven to live most of his life in relative obscurity. He was a king who didn't grow up in a palace but in a poor carpenter's home in a backwater town in Nazareth. He became a man, took on every ounce of our humanity, experienced all of the frailty and weakness of our human body. And he did it all for you and for me. And during his time here on earth, we see that one of the values of his kingdom is abundant sacrificial generosity and love. See, he didn't come in disguise like the the secret millionaire. He came revealing that he had actually brought the kingdom of God to earth. And and, in bringing that kingdom, he shows how he has come to serve others, not to be served. He showed compassion to the poor and needy. He healed countless numbers of sick people. He spent so much of his time around the dinner table with the outcast. The marginalized in society. He went to difficult places. He came and entered into our poverty so that we, by his poverty, might become rich forever. And he came to earth to reveal his true purpose, to lift us out of that life of poverty and, and to, to make a spiritual life forever. And he did it all through his death on the cross. That's the pinnacle of God's sacrificial generosity towards us. Paul says in in, in Philippians 2 verse 8, And Jesus, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. At the cross, Jesus Christ entered into our spiritual poverty. He took the filthy rags of our sin on himself. He paid our debt before God in full, wiping our slate clean by his precious blood. And even more than that, he deposited his infinite wealth, his eternal riches into our account. He clothed us in his royal robes of righteousness, and he made us spiritually alive forever. He made the way for us to be reconnected to God again. And I, I want you to think this week, if you're a Christian this morning, I want you to think just how rich you have now become in Jesus Christ. We don't have time to go into all of it now, but I want you to go away this week and to read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. It's an incredible passage where Paul praises God in this one breathless long sentence outlining outlining all that we have been given by God through Jesus Christ. All that we've now inherited through his life and death and resurrection. Paul says, if you're united to Jesus this morning, if you're trusting in him, then you are rich beyond your wildest dreams. He says this in verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. There is not one thing that you lack if you're in Jesus Christ. Not one thing that you could need if you're in him this morning. The blessings of being united to him are innumerable. Just too many to number. We've been raised to this new life in Jesus through his life and his death and resurrection. And here's just a snapshot in Ephesians chapter one of the things that you'll read this week as you go to those verses. Here's a snapshot of the blessings we've received. Verse five says, we have been adopted into God's family as his sons and daughters. We are given a new identity as his children and all the blessings that come with that Verse 11 says that God has generously given us in Jesus an eternal inheritance. The promise of a heavenly home where we will experience God's presence and the riches of his glory forever. And verse 13, he's given us his very spirit. His own spirit living inside of us as the seal and guarantee of this internal inheritance. He's given us his spirit to lead us, to encourage us, to empower us every day until we will finally take hold of that inheritance forever. This is only a snapshot. But brother brother or sister, if you are in Jesus Christ this morning, you are rich beyond belief. You have everything you could ever need This is how incredibly generous God has been towards us. And this is why it's so crucial as we begin to think about our generosity as a church that this is our starting place. Because if this is how generous God has been towards us, how could we as his children be anything else than generous towards others? We're going to think more next week about the practicalities of our generous living. What it might look like for us to be generous with our money, with our time, Generous in using our gifts to serve the church here at Village. Generous in open our, opening our homes, sharing our food, our possessions with others. Generous in doing good and being a blessing to those in need. But we won't become the generous people God calls us to be, or the generous people that I'm guessing most of us in this room, if not all of us, want to be as a Christian this morning. We won't become those people by trying to change our behavior or by being guilted into this, or by pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps and trying harder. That's not how it works. The gospel isn't about behavior modification. The gospel is about heart transformation. That's what God really wants. He wants our hearts. Paul will go on to say in 2 Corinthians 9, which we'll look at next week with John, that what God really loves, what he really delights in, is a cheerful giver, a joyfully generous person, a person who's gladly willing to give things up, their money, their time for the sake of others, even when it's costly to us. Go back to, to the start of 2 Corinthians 8 and think with me for, as we finish here about the example of the Macedonian church here. Because as we said at the start They were so joyful in giving, even in their extreme poverty, literally begging Paul for the chance to be able to give more. Why were they like this? Look at verse 5. I think this is key, and I think this is why it's not just this passage about money. It's why generous living, it's not just about our finances. It encompasses all of our lives, because look at verse 5. Here's why they were so generous. They gave themselves first of all to God and then by the will of God to us. Here's the key to growing in our generosity as believers and as the church. The only way for us to live a joyfully generous life is if we give ourselves first to our generous God. We devote ourselves to him. We ask him to change our hearts by the knowledge of his grace towards us, to transform us to be more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. We come to our gracious loving father, the one who has given us all things, marveling at his generosity, praising him and worshiping him for showering us with innumerable blessings in Jesus, even though we don't deserve it, none of us do. That's how our generosity will grow. That's how our generosity becomes a joy. Imagine what our church could look like if our hearts were so captured by the generosity of God that we couldn't help but be generous with all of our lives towards others. That it was a joy for us to sacrifice ourselves for the sake of others. Imagine how powerful a witness that would be in the world. People looking at us as a church, looking at you as a a generous giver, asking, why would you do something like that with your time? Why would you give it up in that way? Why would you invest your money in that? What return do you get for that in this life? Imagine our, our living, it just made no sense to people other than we have been transformed by the gospel of grace. We have given ourselves to a God who's been so generous towards us. And we are investing our lives, our money, our possessions, all that we have in a kingdom that will last forever. We are investing it in eternity because that's where we know that where life is truly found. That's the kind of joyfully generous gospel-shaped community we want to be here at Village. And in order to be that, we have to first give ourselves to God and ask him to work in us and through us for his kingdom and for his glory. And as we finish this morning, you're maybe somebody's here this morning who wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian. Maybe you're, you're listening in this morning. Well, I want you to know That God isn't asking you to become a more generous person this morning. That's not what he's asking you for. That's not his request today. It's not his request yet. What he wants you to do first and foremost is to give your life to him. To come to him to accept his generous gift of salvation in his son Jesus. Maybe you've never given him a second thought in life. Maybe you've never once acknowledged that all you have is from him, that he is the generous giver of life to you. Well, there's nothing you can do to clear your debt with God. There's nothing you can do to bring yourself out of the spiritual poverty that you're in. Good works will never do it. It's never going to be enough. But God, in his generosity and in his kindness, he has given the way for you to know life and for you to be rich forever in eternity. And he's done it all through his son, Jesus. You can have that life that you want this morning. You can have the life that maybe you've been looking for. It's about coming to God, trusting in him, accepting that through his death on the cross, in resurrection to life, you can be forgiven forever and you can be raised to new life in Jesus. Because Jesus ex- exchanged his riches for your poverty so that you by his life, by his poverty, might become rich forever. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the generous offer that God makes to you this morning. So will you accept Jesus today? Let me pray for us now. Father God, we thank you that you're so generous and kind towards us. Lord, we marvel at the fact that everything that we have, everything that we possess, even our, our very lives, the breath that we have in our lungs this morning here, all of it is a generous gift from you. All of it is because of your grace towards us, your kindness. Lord, we know that your kindness and your generosity is meant to lead us back to you to turn away from the way that we are living, worshiping and praising all the gifts that you've given to us, to turn away from that and to turn to you, to enjoy those things, knowing that they have been given by you. Lord, I pray that we will, all of us in this room, praise you this week and worship you for even the small things that you've given us in life we'll recognize your generous hand in all of it. And most of all, Lord, I pray that we would uh, just thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We would thank you that you have been so generous in giving us your son, Jesus, to save us, to rescue us from our spiritual poverty, from death, and to bring us to new life. Lord, may we never take that for granted may the knowledge of that change us and transform our hearts and and make us into the kind of people that you call us to be. Those who are first and foremost living for you and living to be a blessing to others. Lord, I pray that we would as a church grow in our generosity, but that we wouldn't do that by feeling guilty Or by trying harder, Lord, we would do it by coming to you and asking you to change our hearts. Lord, we know that you can do it. And Lord, we humbly ask you to do it. We pray these things in your son Jesus' precious name. Amen.